Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> nice to see you two back today. Yes, thank you. Wonderful to be yeah. back. When God doesn't seem present in our lives is. is my focus of today. But let me start with a story. When maybe six or seven years ago, I went with my family to Vermont and to a resort there and they had water slides. And so my kids were super excited about these. And so Hudson and I went down a slide and she went first and down at the bottom, it was a little bit of rapids and then smoothed out. And so she goes around the slide and down she goes, hits the edge of the water and just goes right over top of the rapids and smooths out. And she's in a, in a tube and it just looks awesome. And I'm super excited because I love tubes and more the lazy bay kind of tube though. Yeah, yeah. And down I go around the slide and instead of going over top of the rapids, <laughs> I sink. And it's just for that split second where you feel like your life is over, where your hair is like flopping this way and upside down that way in your face and you can't breathe. And I don't know that your life is flashing before your eyes or not, but you have this moment that that's it. You're just drowning and that's the end of your story. And I've actually had a similar experience like that twice. Do you guys know what that feeling is like? Any of you ever have that opportunity? Well, I wouldn't call it an opportunity, <laughs> but that experience where you feel like you're drowning? It's awful, it's awful. When I came back up of the pool, Hudson and the lifeguard were looking down over me asking if I was okay. I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Obviously, as my body was like, you know, going all which way, I wasn't I fine. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> anyway. When God doesn't seem present in our struggles. I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's a little bit long. It's okay, no okay. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, set up on the plain of Jira in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So they all came, assembled for the dedication of the image that the king had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O people, nations, and men of every language. So there's a large group. As soon as you hear the sound of all these different instruments of all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So as soon as all of those instruments and all kinds of music were played, all the people, nations of nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this, some, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, O oh, live forever, king. You have issued a decree 
that everyone who hears the sound of all of these instruments and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever doesn't will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, three actually, uh, who have set over the affairs of the province, who you have set over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, the king became furious. He summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? So he gives them a second chance here. He says, When you hear these instruments, if you fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from, your hand, from my hand? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to the king, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And this is where the humanity comes out in them. Although, yes, they have a strong faith that God's going to protect them, they say in these six or so words, but even if he does not, and so doubt, there's doubt there. Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. So there's a little bit of doubt just in case God doesn't save them. And then on top of that, there's the fury of the king. So he was furious with them. His attitude toward them changed, so much so that he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, as if a normal fire isn't hot enough. <laughs> but he was obviously very mad, very angry. Taking that farther, there was doubt. There's the fury of the king. There's the furnace being turned up even seven times hotter. And then the king commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So now they're tied up and there's like no way to get out of this. That's just their fate at this point. So yes, they believe in God coming through and at the same time they're human. We're all human. We all know that those two can live in the same space at the same time. Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up to be thrown into the fire. The soldiers, sorry, verse 24, the king Nebuchadnezzar, then King Nebuchadnezzar, after he saw that the soldiers were thrown into the fire, he leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So they did, they came out of the fire. And everyone got crowded around them in verse 27. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. 
So Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble. Sorry for the lack of violent uh, heads up there. (laughs) But he does this because no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There's other biblical examples where it seems like maybe God isn't there in the process. So for them, yes, they believed in him, and at the same time, there's all these things adding up against them and creating more and more, Mm -hmm. potentially creating more and more fear. Mm -hmm. They are human just like we are, so we know what that can to an extent, we've not been in that place, but we know to an extent what it's like when things are coming up against us more and more. Mm-hmm. There's other biblical examples where that happens. In Esther, Esther was a Jewish woman raised by a Jewish uncle named Mordecai. She ended up, throughout the ten chapters of Esther, she became queen to King Xerxes, who did not initially know that she was Jewish. Then the king's first Um, his right-hand man, the the next in command, uh, convinced the king to kill all the Jews in the 127 provinces that the king served over. A possible genocide, a possible holocaust, and it got even worse, the army had already been sent to to do just that. What do you do with that, knowing that all of your people are about to be killed, including yourself, once the king finds out? Like, just imagine all of Nova Scotia or all of Canada, let's say all the people uh, that go to church would be killed. How terrifying that would be, because that means us too, and all our, you know, many of our loved ones. That's true. Uh, Peter. In the, in the account of Matthew and Luke, they tell of him walking on water. In fact, there's a storm, and they're out on the water, and they, the storm comes up. And then on top of the fear of the storm and the high winds, they see a ghost walking towards them on the water. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's, it's me. And then there's Peter, who, as we all have added up, has this sense of, oh yeah, prove it, <laughs> attitude. <laughs> So Jesus is like, okay, come on. And of course, I'm filling in the attitude. But the story goes that Jesus does invite Peter to walk on the water. And Peter does go out. But then he remembers the storm all around him. And that's what he pays attention to. And he sinks. And it comes back to that moment where I'm in the pool and I've sunk. In that sense, even though it's just for a split second. uh, Thinking that this is it. This is how I end. All the fears, you know, are just amplified oh like huge amounts so peter is afraid and he has that moment that this is it something like that we don't know obviously what he was thinking but those those ideas then there's the woman in the account of matthew and again in luke 
who had a bleeding disorder for 12 years. She spent all her money on doctors to no avail. They could not cure her. Imagine the continuous depleting hope over the years. And I imagine at some point there would probably be this sense of, they're just, that's it. There's nothing, all I can focus on is this. It's what I have to deal with every single day. It would be a horrible feeling. Just a side note for a second, I think it's kind of cool that Matthew gives three verses to this story. And Luke, a physician, gives like six verses to the story. And it's just interesting where the focus, where it focuses, where it lies. Anyway, um, so the accounts of the crucifixion and the weekend of the crucifixion of Jesus and its effects on the disciples. Well, Peter, who said that you are the son of God to Jesus, all of a sudden denies Jesus three times out of fear for his own life. The disciples, they hide away in an upper room, afraid. Their Messiah, dead. Their hopes gone, their lives, lifestyle, lessons learned, instructions given from the last three years, dead with Jesus. The point to these is that we often focus on the struggle. We get discouraged because life is hard. We get angry at God, stressed out, burned out, overwhelmed by pressures, grieved. Um, and that becomes our focus. Christine Kane, who I have read from before, she speaks this story. She says, what do you see? My professor asked as he projected a picture of a small black dot in the middle of a very big white screen. I was sitting in Psych 101 during my years at Sydney University. We all responded immediately, a black dot. The prof looked out over the class and paused for a second before he asked again, what do you see? Thinking he must not have heard us properly the first time, we repeated even more loudly, a black dot. Again, he paused and then asked the same question a third time. Now he had my attention, and when still on the third try, none of us provided the correct answer, he explained. You were all so focused on the little black dot in the center of the screen that none of you noticed the dominant image on the screen, the large white space covering top to bottom, left to right. I couldn't believe I missed it. Suddenly, it was obvious. There was far more white space than the black dot. Whatever I chose to focus on had my attention. There's always much more white space than there is space covered by little black dots. We simply need to recognize and focus on it. In class, that idea seemed like an easy notion, easier than it had proved to be in life. Because the harsh reality is that the black dots of our lives, the challenges, the trials, the disappointments, obstacles and hurdles we face as we run, will naturally draw and consume our attention. Our enemy would love to get us to focus on those black dots and convince us that they define and shape our lives and determine our destiny. But in the divine relay, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the white space of God's power at work in the universe, and the trials we face are but, tiny, but a tiny speck 
a black dot in comparison. So in these Bible stories, we learn that God is at work in the background. How do we know that he's at work in the background of our own lives, of our own struggles? James 3, verse 2 to 4. James, yeah, James 3, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, two weeks ago, we sat here in prayer time and prayed about the different things, including my hiking trip. Don continued to share with me afterwards that he was going to be continuing to pray. And I continued to pray for my ankle, or well, for my trip as well. I knew it was going to be strenuous. I knew it was going to be a very difficult level of trail. But I wasn't going to sustain an injury because I could trust God. So when I did roll my ankle, when we did have to stop and turn around, when we could not reach our destination, I was kind of shocked. I was like, what in the world? Like, we prayed for this. I expected. I literally questioned God because he taught me to trust him, and then I felt like he let me down. I was so focused on my injury that I couldn't see the bigger picture, the lesson to be learned, how he was working in the background. I was stuck in the middle of my problem, staring at my black dot. So what was Jesus doing in the background? Honestly, I'm not sure fully yet. Maybe the opportunity to witness, maybe to be a positive example despite the situation. Because honestly, even after I rolled my ankle, it was an awesome hike, even though I had to hike four kilometers back on a rolled ankle. That part wasn't so great, but still I had, I was still in God's awesome beauty and I was still got to spend some time with friends. In fact, we were in on a trail, trees all around, you couldn't see the horizon, and then we all came out to an opening at the top of a hill. And it was in Cape, the very northern tip of Cape Breton, pretty near. And all four of us, all at once, our jaws just dropped to the ground. Amen. And there was silence for a second. And then all I said was, God is so cool. One of my friends that I was with is not a believer. She's kind of open to anything, any kind of spiritual beliefs. The other two I had just met. But all three of them were like, yeah, all in agreement. And it was just such a simple thing. Just, But God was like not simple in that moment right there. He was... Yes, majestic. Mm, yeah. The white screen was absolutely more prominent than any black dot of my ankle yeah. or anything else. Wow, it was crazy yeah. beautiful. So whether it was for me to potentially witness, whether it was, um, you know, maybe, who knows what might have happened had we kept going. In the big picture, it's just a rolled ankle compared to something else that may have been worse. I don't know. Um, 
Maybe there's a ripple effect from that, those few words of witness. Maybe there's a ripple effect ongoing right now that I don't need to know about. Someday I may know, someday I may not know, and that's okay. God knows. That's right. God knows. Because he's working in the background Amen. and in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Coming back to James, when we have trials and we focus on him, our perseverance does grow. Our faith does become stronger. Side note, for those monumental losses, maybe of a spouse, maybe of a child, those massive challenges that we have, humanly, I'm not here to say that it's to grow our faith, to teach us a lesson. I can't do that. Those hardest moments, I can't answer the whys for each of anyone else not even for myself sometimes. But God can question our handling. Sorry, God can handle our questioning him. And maybe though, as we go through those harder moments, those massive moments, not in order to grow stronger in our faith, not necessarily to teach us lessons, but maybe for some of us, that becomes a consequence of our getting mad at him, of our questioning him. I'm not sure. I can't answer that for anyone. What I do know is that we have proof from the Bible and from some of our own experiences already that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, forever. So what is going on in the background? How is God working? Well, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their outcome, God rewarded them with life, for one thing, with an upgrade of career, with government policies being changed in favor of God, and, his, and God's name was honored. With Esther's outcome, Mordecai became second in command. Esther spoke into the king's life, and God changed his mind. God's chosen people did survive, changing the whole story, or potentially changing the whole story of history. God's government policy was changed, and the story shows God's power. Um, God is actually not mentioned at all in all ten chapters of Esther, but his work is shown that he is working in the background. His power is shown as he works in the background to fulfill his plan for Esther's life and moving forward. Peter's outcome. Actually, from history, Peter didn't necessarily have a great outcome in the end. However, the day that he walked on water, the day he sank down into the water. The outcome that day, Jesus took his hand and pulled him up out of the water, proving God's power, his ability to be trusted, his ability to calm a storm, and his sovereignty. The woman who bled for 12 years, her outcome? She was healed and was given notice positively as a woman, noticed by Jesus for the rest of history. Matthew speaks her story in three verses, and yet she's been spoken of 
as a miracle for all time, for all people, which is really amazing. The disciples' outcome after Jesus died, their focus was on, at the time, their dead Messiah. God did not show his miracle for three days, which, as people have often spoken of, crosses all T's, dots all I's, that Jesus, that no one could say that Jesus wasn't dead. They tried, they made up stories, but we know that Jesus actually did die. When Jesus was resurrected, the disciples went on to create the church to spread the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus' outcome? That miracle was the only miracle ever performed as the saving miracle of all time for all people should we choose to believe in him. So when our focus is on the black dot, let's heed God's call to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, mm-hmm. the white space of God at work mm-hmm. all around us. Amen. As we close in prayer, do you mind getting that song going? As we, as we close in prayer, let's close by praying the words of this song. It's not a super easy song to sing, but if you just take some time with Jesus, be intimate with him, allow him to overflow in your life, and just allow him to move through the song, Fourth Man, Fourth Man in the Fire, just like, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's our fourth man in the fire. Amen. Good job, you.